You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. This is your host, Tim Link, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. My special guest today is Edgar and Seamus Award-nominated author David Rosenfeld. David's here to talk to us today a little bit about his new book, Dog Tripping, 25 Rescues, 11 Volunteers, and 3 RVs on our Canine Cross-Country Adventure. So we're excited to talk to David a little bit about the book and some of his writing uh, in the past and how he went about the whole process. So it's going to be a great show. Everybody hang tight. We're going to take a quick break. Get right back with David Rosenfeld. You're listening to The Animal Rights Show on Pet Life Radio. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Pet Life Radio, the number one pet radio network on the planet, joins forces with iHeartRadio to put the power of your pets in your pocket. Awesome. Download the iHeartRadio app and rock Pet Life Radio on your phone, on your tablet, on your Xbox, in your car. Pet talk, pet tunes, and fun pet times. Pet Life Radio and iHeartRadio. Positively possum. I'm not much of a reader, but I do wish I were more well-read. There are so many great books coming out. I wish I could find a way to keep up. Audible.com makes it easy to stay well-informed and catch up on your reading simply by listening. Audiobooks from Audible turn downtime into uptime. You'll be more productive and become well-read. Now I'm able to catch up on all the great books I've been wanting to read. With Audible, I feel smarter. Pet Life Radio listeners, try Audible.com now and get your first 30 days of Audible Listener Gold Membership plan free. And get a free audiobook. Choose from over 100,000 titles. To get this great deal, go to AudibleDeals.com. That's AudibleDeals.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Joining me now is author David Rosenfeld. David, welcome to the show. Thank you. Nice to be here. Oh, our pleasure. Our pleasure. Congratulations on another great book. Thank you. Yeah, tell us a little bit about uh, the latest, Dog Tripping. Dog Tripping is a story of our move from California to Maine with 27 rescue dogs, most of which were old and infirm. And we moved to a house in Maine, and we had to get them across countries, so this is how we did it. It also includes a lot of stories about individual rescue dogs that we've rescued over the year. We have a foundation and and rescued about 4,000 dogs. Wow, that's fantastic. We're going to talk a little bit about the foundation a little bit later in the show, but tell us about how do you make this decision to go from California to Maine and also uh, pack up all the massive RV caravan to to get you to point A to point B? Well, the decision to go to Maine was an easy one. I finally got my wife to retire, and we wanted to move back east, which is where we're from, and never really liked California. And it's just beautiful up here. So we bought a house in Maine, and we waited five years till she retired, and then it was time to go. So we had no reservations about going, but we had plenty about how we would accomplish it with the dogs. And I asked everybody I knew every time I did a dog signing, I asked the crowd if they had any ideas, and we finally decided on three RVs. And we got 11 uh, human volunteers, mostly readers of mine, who flew in from around the country. Wow. And, um, yeah, it was a complete fiasco. (laughs) So the best laid plans, right? Well, I mean, you know, if you ask the other 10 people on a trip, they would say it's the greatest adventure of their life. I mean, they literally say that. And for me, it was just 
terrible. I hated every second of it. <laughs> but we got here. Wow. So the, then the uh, your fans and readers uh, flew out to California, and then I'm assuming once they got to Maine, they helped out a little bit and then flew back home? Yeah, they were remarkable. I mean, absolutely remarkable. I mean, uh, they taught me a lesson, which is never volunteer to help anyone. Because, <laughs> because it was atrocious, I'm telling you. It was torture every step of the way, but they loved it. Yeah, I think it sounds like me. I uh, when we we moved uh, to Florida at one point in time, and I never realized how many friends and relatives I had until I moved towards the beach. Mm-hmm. And same way with buying a pickup truck, you never really know how many friends you have till uh, it's moving time. And <laughs> <laughs> that's right. So then, walk us through the process then uh, about writing the book. Did you keep a journal along the way or notes? How'd you go no, about? I, that would have been the sensible way to do it. I actually didn't make the decision to write the book until the trip was over. So I had to just piece together from you know it was only a five day trip, so it wasn't that hard to remember. And I certainly knew all that went into planning it. And of course, I asked uh, the other ten people for their recollections of it. So um, yeah, if I had if I had decided prior to the trip to write it, it would have been an easier process. But that's just not my style to think ahead. So a lot of ad lib for the book as well as it sounds like there was a lot of make it up as you go along during the journey from California to Maine as well. We definitely made it up as we went along. I mean, it, you know, there were so many chances for disaster. You know, I mean, the dog could run off or uh, one could get sick or we could get a flat tire. I mean, it would, there was all kinds of chances of a problem, but none of that transpired. It was just, for instance, you can't stop and walk 25 dogs on the highway. You can't just let them out. So we had to get 200 feet of plastic fencing rolled up and we unfurled it every time we stopped to make our own dog park each time we stopped. And the dogs wanted to get off the van every time it stopped. And if you've ever driven an RV, and I never will again, they run out of gas every 20 minutes. Right. I mean, as soon as you fill it up, you turn the key and you have a quarter of a tank left. So it was a lot of getting these dogs on and off. And like I said, they're all you know old and mostly arthritic. So it was not an easy process. <laughs> And so I'm assuming every uh, service station convenience store you pulled up to, the dogs thought it was time to get out and stretch your legs a little bit. Yeah, and of course, the people that were already there, you know, the other, other people getting gas or hanging out there when they saw these dogs in this makeshift dog park, they all wanted to come over and pet them, which incited the dogs to riot. You know, it was just each time we stopped was a whole other production. <laughs> and we're not talking to just give the uh, listeners an idea. We're not talking about uh, teacup uh, poodles oh, no. and toy schnauzers and things of this sort. Oh, no. We had, uh, well, we had one beagle, but other than that, I mean, the smallest dogs we have were labs and golden retrievers. We had a mastiff and two Bernese mountain dogs and, you know, big dogs, you know, mostly yeah. labs and goldens. So we're not talking about just a uh, 10 by 10 little piece of fencing uh, or a makeshift uh, little uh, unit. Oh, no, no. We're talking about well over a ton of dog. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> so it, no, it was a, it's a big process. Wow, that's fantastic. Now, I'm assuming everybody's home, settled in, loving life in Maine? They love it. I mean, it, it makes us actually, because they love the, the snow and the cold so much. When, when, in the winter, we can't get them back inside. I mean, they run outside and don't want to come back in. And it actually makes us feel guilty that we had them in Southern California for so long because they so prefer cold weather. Wow. I'm sure everybody's wanting to know, how do you actually find Right and Perfect Forever Homes, which is your home, for 27 rescue dogs? How did that all come out? How did we get so many dogs? Yeah. How did you get so many uh, of your, your own? Well, what, what happened is, you know, we had, like, we had this foundation, and we would rescue dogs. And, and if we rescued a dog that was old or ill or epileptic or blind or whatever, and nobody wanted it, what are we going to do? And we can't just keep it in a cage. That wouldn't be fair to the dog. It would be better for it to have been euthanized in a shelter. So they'd come home as our pet. 
And when you have two, getting a third is a big deal. When you have 25 and they tell you that there's going to be a golden put down at 3 o'clock if you don't get there, then you get 26. So we were as high as 42 at one point. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So, we think anything over 40 is eccentric, though. <laughs> I'll have to remember that when I attend one of yeah. my next rescue events, you know. Get more, get more. But anything over 40, that's, that's yeah, a limit. Yeah, that's a limit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> limit you to 40. I love it. I love it. So we got to talk about the foundation. Tell us about the Terra Foundation. Well, it, it was a foundation we had in Florida. There's really no need for it in Maine because the rescue situation is so much better here. But the Tara Foundation was just um, when our dog Tara died, a golden retriever, and she was just fantastic. We we started volunteering in a shelter in L.A., and the shelters in Southern California are just atrocious. I mean, beyond belief atrocious. So it became too passive for us to just sit there and watch great dogs getting put down or getting adopted as guard dogs and so we just formed our own foundation. So it was just the two of us, and we were, we were we're psychotic dog people. And so at a vet's office, we had 25 runs dedicated to us at all times. So we always had 25 dogs there, and we just, you know, we placed a lot of dogs. But wow. So like, a, like I say, if, it was, if a dog couldn't be placed, they became our pet. That's fantastic. So do you, uh, in addition to the veterinarian office, that, were there foster homes, people that uh, fostered the dogs? No, we didn't dogs? do that. We didn't do that. It, that's too unwieldy. It was just the two of us. So we had to have a centralized place. And we didn't have a facility. So the vet was actually, I mean, it was expensive, but it was very convenient in that, you know, it was a place where they got all their health care. They got spayed and neutered. They got baths. You know, they boarded there. And then when people wanted to adopt them, they would come to the, meet us at the vet's office and they could walk them and hang out with them and so on. So it just became a really convenient way to do it. And to do foster homes, while it would have been much more economical for just the two of us, it just would have been too much. Right. But that makes sense. I have to admit, uh, you know, I've worked with rescues around the country, and I believe this is the first time I've ever heard of using a veterinarian's hospital, their offices, and their kennel runs as actually a, uh, a rescue facility. So big kudos to you. I, I like that. Worked out great. Yeah, they're there. They're able to take care of them. Something happens. You don't have to transport them to the veterinarian hospital. So that, right. that's great news. Do you have a website for the Terror Foundation? Not anymore. Uh, like I say, since we moved to Maine, there's really no reason for us to have to place dogs at homes because the shelters are so great here. And, and people are so dog-friendly here. I mean, everybody has a dog. So the only rescues we do now are if the, sh- the local shelters now know us and they call us if they have dogs that they can't place for a, you know for the same kind of reasons, age or illness or something. We rescue those dogs, but they become our pets automatically. Okay. So no uh, no thoughts of having an uh, RV transport service? Uh, no, 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 for... no, no, no. <laughs> no. I that's thought I had over. a future gig for you guys. No, that's over. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. Well, we're going to take a little bit of a, a break in our conversation with David Rosenfeld. Come back to uh, talk to him a little bit more about the book Dog Tripping and talk to him about some of his other writing as well. So everybody hang tight. Uh, you're listening to Animal Rights Show on Pet Life Radio. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. It's dinner time in America, where more pet parents trust PetSmart for natural and expert recommended foods than any place else. And now, we've added more than 100 new varieties to our already wide selection of your favorite brands, like Simply Nourish, Authority, Wellness, science diet and more do what's best for your pet at PetSmart happiness in store 
Go to PetSmartDeal.com to find out this week's coupon code and save up to 30% on food, treats, toys, and more. And get free shipping on orders of $49. Go to PetSmartDeal.com. P-E-T-S-M-A-R-T-D-E-A-L.com. Hi, this is T.O.D. Anderson, and I'm the host of Get Positive Results on Pet Life Radio. We're going to talk about a variety of topics on canine behavior and training, all based on modern methods that are fun for you and your dog. We might be talking about other critters, too. So join us on Get Positive Results. We'll talk about common issues between you and your dog, answer your questions, discuss different activities you can do with your dog, and keep you posted on current canine news and products. All this on Get Positive Results on Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Animal Rights Show on Pet Life Radio. I'm talking to author David Rosenfeld about his latest book, Dog Tripping. So, David, as far as lessons learned, I'm sure there was a lot of them, and you've documented them well in the book. But would you say there are a few uh, key lessons that you've learned during this whole process as far as like uh, how to do it or uh, what do you do if you're actually trying to write a book about your journeys and uh, things you're doing, whether you're taking a cross-country trip or doing other things? How would How's that process come about, and what lessons did you learn? Well, if you're talking about the trip itself – I honestly, in retrospect, can't think of a better way to have done it. I mean, we, we tried, you know, we looked at everything in terms of, you know, air travel and, and all kinds of various things, staying in hotels. But, you, you know, you, if you call a hotel and say, listen, uh, you take pets and what's the pet deposit for 25 dogs? But, no, I think it worked out fine. I mean, it, you know, like I said, there was potential for disaster, but none of it, none of it happened. It was, it was as smooth as it could be. In terms of the writing of the book, certainly I wish I had had the idea before the trip. That's for sure. Yeah. I've never written nonfiction before, so like you can't make stuff up, you know. I mean you have to know what happened. So <laughs> it's a little off putting. Exactly. Well let's compare it then uh while you're talking about that. Obviously you've had a a great deal of success writing your uh your thrillers and uh writing uh you know novels in the past, your mystery novels, et cetera. How does the two compare, putting together a nonfiction book compared to uh you know, writing a, a thriller or writing some of the novels? Well, this nonfiction book was fairly easy because it was mine. You know, it was my story. I mean, I'm, you know, notoriously lazy about research. So to write a, another nonfiction book about another subject that I didn't live firsthand would just be, you know, my laziness would just preclude any chance of that. But other than that, it's, you know, it's, it's probably an easier process than the fiction because the way I write fiction, I don't plan the book out in advance. So I just start it and it goes where it goes. So that makes it even though, and I, I don't plan in advance because I really can't. So that makes it more difficult because you don't know what's going to happen next. In terms of the, the nonfiction dog tripping, I knew exactly what happened. What happened, and it was just a question of me writing it down. So it, in this case, it was easier for me to write nonfiction. If I wrote another kind of nonfiction that wasn't my own experiences, it would be harder. Yeah, because of the research that goes into it. Make yeah. sure you get everything accurate. When you talk about uh, not having idea going into writing a novel, now you've written series of novels before, correct? Yeah, I've just published a book called Hounded that I think is the is the 18th novel, and Dog Tripping is next to the 19th book. Wow, that's fantastic! So, how do you, as an author, when you're writing in a series like Hounded, how do you keep that on track? How do you remember what happened in the previous book and the characters, so on and so forth? Well, like, I mean, the characters evolve, but each book has to stand on its own. I mean, you know, if uh, 
I mean, Hound, as an example, has done, they, they just gave me the sales figures, and it's way ahead of any previous one in the series. So it, what that means is there are new readers. So you have to write it so that if somebody's reading just that book for the first time, they understand it. They're not missing anything about the characters. So you have to introduce the characters each time. You want to do it in a way that's not so dull that the people who know the characters already aren't put to sleep by it. So that's a little tricky. But each book has to stand on its own. So while it could refer to things that happened in previous books, you just can't assume that people have read the previous book. Right. So you had to make it exciting for the new readers, but yet not make it so boring for the old ones that are your existing fans because they know the characters so well. That's probably the toughest part. Yeah. So how do you go about doing that? Is it uh, you update them on the, what a centralized character is doing at this time or what they've been doing since the last novel? No, yeah, I don't refer to the last I, I really don't refer to the last novel almost at all. You know, it may be in passing, but I really have to pretend as if there was no previous novel. So it, it's, you know, it, it's a process. I'd say the first 20 pages of each new, these are, the main characters named Andy Carpenter. I would say the first 20 pages of each new Andy Carpenter book is probably the biggest challenge I face because you have to navigate that, uh, the introduction and such, like, as I say, in such a way as not to turn off uh, old readers, you know, like, been there, done that. Exactly, exactly. So now in your uh, Andy Carpenter books, you also include a a canine as a uh, a character in the book. Yeah, and Andy, you know, he's a lawyer, he's a defense attorney, but he also runs a dog rescue foundation on the side, so it's not exactly a creative stretch for me. But, so he's a dog lunatic, and what happened was, after the first five books, they were doing pretty well, but I was getting tired of writing them, and I was going to switch to other kinds of books, and then the sixth book in the series, which was called Play Dead... For the first time, had a dog that was integral to the plot. It wasn't just a dog that was owned by the, you know, owned by the character. This was integral to the plot. So they put a golden retriever on the cover, and the book just sold out. Right? I mean, it's just having the dog on the cover made people buy it. So you know, I so I decided to write more, and of course, now they'll always have a dog on the cover. <laughs> so it serves a dual purpose. You know, everybody loves dogs. They want to see dogs cute, and who can pass up a golden retriever? And um, so you get the There's word a out of culture out there that you probably know better than me, but it, it's remarkable. I mean, yeah. I go, around, I go around the country. All my signings now are benefits for rescue organizations, and the people out there—it's it, really—it's amazing how many dog lunatics there are who really, really do a lot more than we ever did. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I've uh, my last book tour, same thing. I teamed up with rescues across the nation and always brought them to the uh, the signings and television shows and, and the speaking events, et cetera. Of course, that's what I do for a living. I work with uh, people and their animals and, and organizations and their animals. But you're right. I mean, if you put a, uh, have a dog or a, or a cat, especially a dog, on the cover or in your books or as a, a character in the books, immediately. You've got a whole new fan base. Hey, in 2007, we were living in California. We had just bought the house in Maine, but we weren't going to move for five years. And our house got caught in a fire. And mm. we, were, um, we were evacuated for eight days, and we thought we lost the house. And I asked somebody who wrote to me, a reader, if, as a dog person, if she had any idea of how we move all these dogs to Maine. And within the next three days, I got 171 emails from strangers offering us their house on the way to Maine. Like, you know, we live at Topeka. If you and 27 dogs come through here, <laughs> you can stay at our house, right? But that's what it is. You know, there's like these dog subculture out there that's remarkable. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Always willing to help out, always willing to take care. And you, you and your wife obviously do a great job and are part of that subculture as well. Well, there's plenty of people out there who do more, believe me. I mean, we, <laughs> we found them. They're, these people are, you know, have done it for a lot longer and a lot, a lot more dedicated to it. 
Absolutely. So uh, I'm seeing in the, in your future, you know, Andy Carpenter doing some uh, thriller, some uh, mystery thing, driving an RV cross country with his favorite no. dogs. <laughs> no, RVs are not not to be mentioned in any of my books. It's over. I'm actually writing a sequel to Dog Tripping, meaning that it's another nonfiction dog book, but there's no trip involved. Believe no. me. Very good. Well, we'll look forward to seeing that one as well and uh, talking about that as well. But, uh, yeah, RVs are not to be mentioned in this household. <laughs> no, no, that's over. Uh, great. Well, hey, David, uh, thanks for coming on the show today. Great work with uh, dog tripping. Uh, thanks for taking care of all of our uh, furry friends. We appreciate that as well. Good luck in Maine, and uh, you know, we look forward to the next uh, book that's coming out. Thanks. It's a pleasure. Yeah, it was great. And everybody can go to look for uh, Dog Tripping at your favorite bookstores, indie bookstores, and online. You can go to uh, David's site, uh, davidrosenfelt.com, learn more about him, his books, his writing, all the wonderful things going on in his life. So we're excited about that as well. So pick up a copy of Dog Tripping by David Rosenfeld. Well, we're coming to the end of the show today. I want to thank everybody for uh, listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. I'd also like to thank our sponsors and producers for making the show possible. To find out more about me, Tim Link, and the other guests that I've interviewed on the Animal Rights Show, you can visit PetLifeRadio.com, click on the Animal Rights icon, and listen to past shows and download uh, future shows and uh, listen to all of your wonderful authors, writers, and bloggers out there. And while you're there, make sure you check out all the other wonderful hosts and shows on Pet Life Radio. That's PetLifeRadio.com. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for the show, please email me. You can email me at tim at petliferadio.com. I'll be glad to answer your questions, entertain your comments, and bring on the people you want to hear most onto the show. So until next time, write a great story about the animals in your life, share it in a blog, article, or in a book, and who knows, you may be the next guest on Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have a great day. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand. Only on PetLifeRadio.com.